Hi, I'm Ryan Lim, your host to the QED Changemaker Series podcast. Here, we have conversations with senior executives and business leaders about their visions, ambitions, and concerns for the largest and most challenging issues facing our industry today. For each episode, we'll be discussing different topics with these thought leaders, decision makers, and most importantly, change makers. Combined, these are the captains of our industry who will be shaping our future. So for the fifth edition of the QED Changemaker series, we are talking about business unusual, the new norms now and beyond COVID-19. And we are hoping to actually find out from all of you what you've heard from the respective breakout rooms with all the leaders that we have in attendance today. And maybe we can also try to find out what are the key points that was raised. One key thing that I think came across, and it might seem a bit obvious, is that no one and no business was prepared for what's happened no government either and so a lot of what was shared with me in a discussion was around the change that was required in so many different elements of the business wasn't ready for so whether it was in terms of how to deliver products and services digitally whether it was how to manage staff remotely and virtually you know all these things no one was really expecting i suppose For my session, one of the things that came out was coming up with alternate business verticals that can keep the business floating, that can keep the business sustainable. We have seen that one example is Fluke. I think Fluke, apart from being having a travel as a main vertical, they are also looking at having delivery as well. Now, without mentioning the industry, but entertainment and FMB goes hand in hand. If entertainment as a community is not happening right now as a social activity, Perhaps F&B is something that the business needs to focus on because it does have reasonable margins. And then that is probably good enough for the time being to keep the business running. So it's really about coming up with alternate business verticals during this time. The conversations were in very much the same vein, but I wanted to call out one aspect of the digital transformation journey, which is that it's complex and that the complexity in some ways was unexpected but also resolved itself in unexpected ways. So one example given in the realm of retail was really that um, shoppers are not accustomed to buying luxury products online, sites unseen, and that retailers can and do set up their own e-commerce shop fronts but At the same time, involving the right channel partners has also alleviated some of the need to build something from scratch. And then even in the involving of channel partners, then comes the next layer down of understanding what's user behavior on one marketplace platform versus another and identifying, for instance, if you want people who are more likely to afford a luxury product, should you be using more Facebook marketing or Instagram marketing um, to see how the social media audience is fragmented across different platforms. In my group, there were multiple examples as they were forced to get creative and innovative to create alternative business as existing business dried up. It was really a theme of pivoting to digital across industries and also pivoting to digital end to end depending on the customer experience, etc. So whether it was the insurance industry or, or the outdoor industry around where people had to be up and about outside. So it was interesting. And, and the other theme was really 
rather than you know sit and feel sorry about the fact that business is in trouble and has taken a hard hit and it's painful people were actually saying okay even if i can't earn money let me deepen my relationships with customers and other stakeholders so that was another theme that came out and a lot of businesses were doing that I had a couple of other very interesting contributions from the group that I was in. I think one remark was that this was the beginning of the beginning. That was an interesting remark. So the changes that we see are just being rolled out. The thought of responding, I think, as uh, James had mentioned, that you know people were un were, were caught unprepared. Some companies apparently did kind of a trial run because the, the culture was such that they didn't work, they're not used to working remotely, and so it's a big cultural shift. And actually, even here in the Academic research in this area shows that the biggest barrier to what we call telecommuting in the bus was the supervisor. You want to see the person on face to face, and so if you work remote, doesn't mean that the person has to be on glued to the laptop practically. You know, a whole eight, you know, twelve, eight, twelve hours. Some people find they're working longer, and so there's a whole cultural shift in terms of being allowed to work at home first of all, and then being uh, working such a way they're able to supervise the work. Uh, there was also interesting uh, comment that this change is such a serious, dramatic change we're facing that although you hear international politics, you know the rivalry at the international level, uh, companies are actually cooperating. So your rivals are actually cooperating, and I'm just thinking a lot of somebody said that, that oh yeah, Apple and Google are actually cooperating on on a privacy front. It's unbelievable, you know, and Google is not making money from its chasing app, you know. Apple is actually, uh, in a way, sort of rolling back a little bit on the privacy concerns. Yeah, so, so big changes in the area. Companies cooperating, and someone suggested that he's seeing signs of even MMA sort of people discussing. So not just cooperating, but looking for ways to work together for projects and possibly even merge. So some looks like the changes are pretty major. I think everybody practically spoke of the revenue drop. I know that in the some said in the cyberspace, some companies in cybersecurity do make more money, but practically you know, all across, yeah, there are drops in the revenue. Um, and I think in one of the things that in my group that came about was that internally, where other departments for the longest time felt that they couldn't do certain things and they were putting the compliance or controls or technology constraints, and you know, if you had talked about remote working or Zoom prior to this event, what would end up happening is most people will push back for various reasons internally. But when the sense of purpose came together, how the barriers or the walls within the own organization broke down to everybody to come together to deliver something that three months ago, four months ago, they would give all kinds of excuses why they couldn't, was unbelievably telling. And it wasn't like suddenly they got the money that they didn't have before. They just innovated, and so the internal view I thought was very interesting. That every department kind of suddenly opened up the doors and said, "We'll test whatever you want to do." Whether it was online marketing, whether it was, you know, putting in technology investment, letting people like literally exchange documents on Zoom, which you know every compliance team would say in a normal world cannot happen. So that was, I think, very interesting. That you know, internally, when the sense of purpose was aligned. Everybody came together, which would never happen before. A very interesting phrase came out in my group, where it was uh, Wall Street versus Main Street, you know. And uh, from a very macro level, you know, the question was really about a lot of uh, support and resources going to the corporations was necessary, you know, in terms of keeping the economy going. But and then there is also a lot of support and focus on you know maybe the lowest paid level of workers. 
But the question about Main Street is really what about the average man in the streets? You know, what's going to happen when push comes to shove, when there seem to be less focus on these people? So it got a lot of nods in the room itself where it suddenly occurred to all of us that, yeah, it seems to be the support and focus on two extremes. So the other one is on content creation, which is interesting because you know, aligned to what everyone else is observing, that everyone's being forced to accelerate the digitalization, the incorporation of technology in their business models. Then there is a second layer of having to create content, you know, to get that technology and this digitalization upfront and being able to be delivered, right, to the consumers directly. So that's yet another issue that the companies are facing. And I think, you know, everybody's agreement is like, there are a lot of questions, but very few answers at this point in time. Thank you. So I think from my group, I think one of the key things that actually happened was actually the fact that we are able to see the government in action as well. So how they are trying to accelerate the hiring process. And this is the first time I've ever seen any government work so fast. You must understand that government are the biggest bureaucracy there are, but yet they are moving as nimble as a startup. Four budgets in a year, they're able to reallocate staff in terms of the opportunities. They are accelerating their hiring process. I think when there's a will, there's a way. And then you can find that the amount of effort that they put in where they're trying to shift huge amounts of the workforce from very slack places to actually to put them into more productive, but there's a lot, quite a bit of retooling or reskilling that's required in this particular thing. But then on the private sector side, you will find that some of the discussion that was shared was that there are a lot of major projects on hold and it really puts a grinding halt to some of the preconceived ideas that, you know, the physical space is king. So now there's a very divided chain of thought where do we go back to the workplace or do we say that, no, we don't want it, we don't need it because it's been proven already worldwide that you don't have that. So I think there's a bit of a division rather than just one straight thinking that everyone thinks that everyone needs to come to office which was the majority of it. But thanks to the pandemic itself, I think right now it's 50-50. There are two camps that are in existence. One is, uh, yes, we need to reinforce the fact that we still need a physical space because everyone's dying to come back to have that water cooler chat. We are social people. The other one is saying that, look, we can work without the office space. So it's literally a 50-50 thing. So that's one huge drastic shift. But I think the room generally comes to a consensus that it is an unprecedented level of disruption. And also tension at the same time that's impacted uh, not just any specific sector but throughout. So there's no particular playbook. And as a result, you find that some of these traditional digital companies have actually stepped up in a form that they become like first responders, which was one of the things that I've quoted from the group itself, where they are now actually helping governments and organizations to adapt to this new digital need itself, because that's business continuity. And they are not just the physical responders, but the digital guys are also becoming or behaving through collaboration, which was unheard of before, to actually continue the business and enable us for this kind of remote working. The other part that was actually being raised is actually the issue of the environment. So this is like the dry run for climate change. Surprisingly, that was actually being brought up as well, where you find that when people are not taxing the world, you find that the world is responding quite quickly too, and in a positive way. So there is a little bit of silver lining in terms of macro change, that I think that we are able to see what organizations are doing to the planet and not just business by itself. So because most of the time we see things in theory, but no one stopped to actually take a look. 
But now that you are able to, I think that's a major point that we think, hey, we cannot avoid that. We should also include that and part of it, we do impact the world. And you can see it from green skies to clearer skies. And I think when China came back on right now, I think they accelerated back to catch up. You find that the entire smoke starts to come back again. So I think that sort of summarizes the groups sharing the major points of, about some of the significant shifts in the, at a 20,000 feet view. I think one of the interesting things that, that's got me thinking as well is just, do we need an office? You know, and, and you mentioned that there's, there's sort of two camps and I, I probably, like a lot of people, probably fall in the middle in some ways. But if you ask my landlord, we definitely need an office. But, you know, it really has shown some, for me personally, that we need an office less than I thought we did. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever imagine not having an office. But it does raise questions in my head of, do we need an office like the one we currently have? But something that came out quite strong in the discussions that I had around both the, the at the industry level and the organisational level was this, I guess, missing that face-to-face interaction with, with, with everyone, whether it's customers, partners, media, but obviously your colleagues. And that is something that I think, you know, it improves efficiency it helps so much just in terms of uh, building relationships. That is something that I know I'm missing and I have difficulty with at times. And, and that was something that came out really strong just based on the discussion that I had as well. I think one other theme that came in my group was everybody was doing what it took to prepare for the uncertain future. I think there was consensus that the future is extremely uncertain, more so than ever, but they were preparing. Some of them were preparing for the here and now, which is what do we do June 2nd as we open up slowly. Some of them were preparing for the tomorrow and then there were groups who were starting to think about the long-term future, like the work from home, right? One particular organization did a survey and they found more than 75% of their employees are feeding back globally saying we, we, we want work from home to stay. either permanent and 100% or at least 50 to 60% because we've seen it works, right? Um, so in terms of preparing for that uncertain future, there were sort of a couple of things. One is work from home is going to completely change and disrupt industries in different shapes and forms. And depending on which industry they came from, they're adapting differently to that future dynamic. The other is travel, as we know, it is is going to permanently change. There was a quote from one person saying humans are going to be treated like animals in travel in the short term future because you're going to be quarantined and you're going to have to have a certificate of clean bill health. And and so travel is going to be change as we know it, whether we like it or not, at least for the reasonably foreseeable future. And that has a knock on effect on a lot of industries. And so the last thing was, I think some people raise a very valid point, which is all this is fine. A lot of it is on artificial support because some of the support we see right now cannot is not sustainable, probably, but there's not enough focus going on, enough concern about the second wave and what impact that'll have. So one of the interesting things that was shared in the group was around, uh, yes, we are seeing job losses or even retrenchment layoffs, which is very painful, but it's also, as their job losses happening, there are also new opportunities that are being created. It's almost like a scale, right? So while one scale is going down, the other scale is coming up. And now is the time to really see which is the scale that's going up. So if you see, be it on the tech side, be it e-commerce, logistics, these are sort of the spaces where scale is, is moving up quite quickly. One of the examples given was uh, by a recruitment firm, a uh, gentleman in the group. He said that 
you know, big companies, even like Amazon, even they are not able to keep up with their manpower requirements. There are more job creation happening there. For everyone else, I think for us, we have to really see what are the skills we have right now and do we have the right skills for the future. So now is really the time to upskill and have a, a mindset to, to learn and to unlearn and then relearn. Sounds like there needs to be some coordination where you find the slack industries to repurpose them in the one which is in demand sections of the workforce, right? There should be some form of coordination going on. Otherwise, no one has a full view of the entire thing. And to also make productive use of everyone. And then the skills that's needed, it's not the same. It's not mapping one-to-one. It's a completely different role. There's a demand in that particular role. I think that's why a coordinated role comes in very importantly as well. Thanks, Manisha. Um, Jermaine? I wanted to call back to the point James was making about the loss of the physical office space. And among the group discussion that I had, we didn't just cover what it does to the organisational culture as a whole, but there was a lot of discussion around what it does to different layers of the organisation. So for those who are still in a position to hire new staff, the onboarding process has been unprecedentedly difficult given that relatively junior staff or relatively new joiners are physically unable to just pop their head up and ask a question casually of their mentor, of their peer, and then the process of crafting a formal question over email or text message puts up different barriers to the ability to just uh, consult someone in your immediate team. But besides the junior levels and the new joiners, one of the participants also highlighted that the most senior levels of her organisation have also struggled because you can't translate certain qualities like charisma or personality very well over a WebEx, a Zoom town hall to 300 members of your staff. And even the way that executives have been coached, you know, to present in a way that you can reach even the person at the back of the auditorium, all that has become a skill they have to relearn for the digital platform. And, and given that seniority also does correlate with age, the barriers inherent are also not just that of the technology you have to learn, but also past uh, expertise you have in communicating to an organisation then have to be practically relearned, shelved, or do you even know if they're still relevant in the post-COVID-19 world? And so, mediating between these two extremes in how organisational culture has been affected by remote working, that's something that no amount of tech support can actually help to overcome. It's, it's a whole different set of skills and organisational communication skills that didn't exist up to this point. So it seems that there's not only just a coordinator role, I think all that road mapping that we've done in the past in terms of the skill sets, we need to take a revamp, maybe in a more timely one because you are able to redefine the entire ecosystem like what Jermaine just mentioned as well, to be able to fit properly in those roles. And whether those roles are transient or are they more mid to long term, it's also something to be properly defined. Otherwise, you have a surge of people getting skilled in some area, then the entire demand just drops off the cliff and then nothing else happens. Yeah, I would echo what has been said. But there's some interesting points here. The place that has done a lot of work from home is in the universities. And universities globally, uh, certainly what we call R1, research intensive universities, you find people working most of the time just to get away and not to be distracted. But the problem with that is that there's a lot of culture, as I think Jermaine pointed out, right? how to onboard people. And in my group, somebody said that, you know, you can't kick a colleague for saying the wrong thing at a meeting, right? You can kick a colleague under the table, I mean, for saying the wrong thing. And uh, these are things that are missing. And then it raises the question of how do the younger people, especially, get enculturated? Right, into the system, how do they learn things along the way? Because a lot of transmission is lost. If you don't mean, as I think James was saying, the water cooler, right? 
So you do need that face-to-face meeting, not just for work, but also the whole culture and whole onboarding. So I think that we can't just be output-driven because the way they will monitor work from home is to be output-driven. In the universities, we are, we are crazy because uh, somebody new came to us at uh, HR and then uh, new two of us so emailed us at, at 1 a.m. and got responses at 1.10 a.m. Emailed us again and got two more responses and then we said, I can't, can't keep up, I'm going to sleep and then we just get on, right? Uh, so university uh, culture tells you that this is what happens in output-driven. Right? You work long hours, you don't care about the time and, and the culture. So I think that you need to work out some kind of best practice that how do you uh, work in this space given the fact that there will probably be less need for office space. I think the REITs in this area need to be repriced down, right? As I'm working the REITs now and say, yeah, hey, what value should be put there for office space, right? But then there's also a loss of that human interaction. And we are social creatures as we now realize, right? We are social creatures. We do need the face-to-face meeting, the face-to-face interaction. How do you balance that? How do you keep the, the culture going in a, in a good way? So you're not just an economic machine, but really uh, you are a whole human being and they happen to do work and that you know, Thank you for listening to the QED Changemaker Series podcast. This has been part one of the event roundup of the QED Changemaker Series held on 29th May 2020. Head over now to part two to get even more insights. See you there.